Hey everyone, it's Ramon and welcome to the Human Optimization Podcast, science-based tools to optimize your physiology, master your mind, and unlock your potential. Now before we get into the episode, a quick word from our sponsor, Brain First, earth-grown, evidence-based nutrition. One of the products that I love and I take every workday to fire up my brain and get laser-like focus and interflow quickly is Genius Mode. Now, it took me years of research and testing to formulate Genius Mode for Brain First because I was sick of having dozens of bottles and powders to have to mix together all the different ingredients to give me the effect that I wanted. So Genius Mode has the best science-backed ingredients for peak mental performance in meaningful doses supported by experimental data. I personally take it shortly after I wake up and the focus and the drive and the motivation and the mental clarity lasts me all day. Now to get Genius Mode, use code RAMON for 10% off in addition to any other subscription discounts that you get on the BrainFirst website. Just head to mybrainfirst.com and you'll see a bunch of reviews from other people who are absolutely loving this product. mybrainfirst.com, code RAMON for 10% off and get your brain an instant upgrade. Let's get into the episode. Enjoy, my friends. In uh, this particular episode, Dr. Uma Naidu uh, joins the show. Dr. Uma is a board-certified psychiatrist, professional chef, and nutrition specialist. She is currently the Director of Nutritional and Lifestyle Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital, where she consults on nutritional interventions for the psychiatrically and medically ill. Also Director of Nutritional Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital Academy and founder of a private practice. She also teaches at the Cambridge School of Culinary Arts. She blogs for Harvard Health and Psychology Today and has just completed a unique video cooking series for the Massachusetts General Hospital Academy, uh, which teaches nutritional psychiatry using culinary techniques in the kitchen. Guys, I hope you enjoy this episode. We dive into a range of different topics. We talk about the gut, the gut-brain relationship, Uh, ADHD, anxiety, and uh, a number of other things to improve our mental health and cognitive function. Enjoy the episode. Well, Dr. Uma, thanks very much for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me, everyone. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, uh, What I'd really love to discuss is uh, a couple of the topics in the uh, that you've covered in your book. This is your brain on food, but I think to set the scene, why don't we start with the relationship between nutrition and mental health, the basics. You know, what do we need to know? Uh, why is it important? Sure. It turns out, Ramon, that the, the old cliche, we are what we eat, turns out to be scientifically somewhat true these days as we have unpacked and understood the gut-brain connection and the fact that what we eat um, and what we digest through the gut does in fact ultimately also affect our brain. And that's really how nutrition and mental health are connected. For many decades, we've studied different nutrients, things like folate, methylfolate, omega-3 fatty acids, vitamin D. And really what nutritional psychiatry tries to do is put together, certainly in my practice, clinical um, psychiatry treatment plans for individuals based on their clinical symptoms and using a very personalized treatment plan um, with a whole foods and healthy approach, but also with seven, several caveats depending on the conditions, which is how the book is divided. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that, uh, of course, things like the gut and the gut-brain relationship is clearly getting a lot more uh, attention recently, which is great. 
Can you talk to us about specifically how gut bacteria changes our mental function? And this is, I think, something that perhaps a lot of people still aren't aware of. So, yeah, can you talk to us about the relationship here and perhaps also what are some of the the struggles that we're up against with getting this information out into uh, to public awareness? Sure. I think, I think that, you know, um, to start with, many of us know as physicians and many of us know as patients that we can talk to our doctors or dietitian or nutritionist about how to eat if you have a family history of diabetes or what to think about avoiding if you have, a, if you have high blood pressure. But people are not making the connection between the brain and how we eat and the potential impact on mental well-being. And, you know, I think the first step is really understanding that there is this gut-brain connection, which has been understood uh, and, and research is ongoing. And I, would, I feel that it's been understood a little bit more with medical conditions versus mental health conditions. But the information regarding mental health is quite robust and it's evolving all the time. So what I would say about that is we know that the gut and brain are connected because they actually arise from the same cells in the, in the human embryo and uh, you know, divide up into these different organs and then they are connected anatomically, physiologically and biochemically by the 10th cranial nerve arising from the brainstem. Um, so the 10th cranial nerve connects the brain to the gut. And I like to call it the two-way superhighway because it's, it's, it's bi- bi-directional communication that goes on all the time. So that first connection is important for people to understand. The second thing about this is that serotonin is known as the happiness hormone, and it is what is targeted with, with psychotropic medications, such as SSRI medications, otherwise called Prozac or Fluoxetine, Zoloft or Sertraline. They are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Now, in different countries, they might go as different trade names, but they are SSRI medications and they work to improve things like depression, anxiety, and several other conditions. But 90% or more of the serotonin receptors are actually found in the gut. So that's also important for, uh, for someone to understand. The third thing I feel that is helpful to understand and puts into perspective the effectiveness of the microbes in our gut. There are at least 39 trillion microbes in the gut, different types, and they live in the gut and they can either help to support our, um, our mental well-being, our physical well-being, or they can work against us. And that's where food becomes important. But a simple example, such as when we consume, um, you know, antioxidants and polyphenols, when, when our doctors say eat the rainbow, eat colorful food, uh, fruit and vegetables, um, because of the bright colors, say the carotenoids in carrots, um, or uh, other colored, you know, say red, red bell peppers, um, whatever these foods are, the antioxidants really need the microbes um, to break down and make those antioxidants and polyphenols actually more active for us. So it's just one simple example of the fact that the microbes in your gut are there for a very important reason. And what we want to be doing is having them work for us instead of against us. Mm-hmm. So... What about for uh, perhaps some of our listeners who might say, okay, I don't have a mental health issue uh, as such. 
I don't have uh, anxiety or depression, Mm -hmm. but perhaps I want to perform a little better on a day-to-day basis. I want to improve my cognitive function. So if we go uh, beyond this idea of of perhaps some sort of um, mental health uh, condition or disorder to a general state of how we're functioning um, day-to-day and improving Mm -hmm. performance – What's the relationship here between the gut bacteria and and mental function? How does that work? Well, I appreciate you asking that question because it turns out that in the United States, we launched um, this book, uh, This Is Your Brain on Food, during the pandemic. And we've had hundreds, if not many more people reach out from around the world asking that type of question uh, in a different way. So they've asked, well, can, can I use this book as a guide to just eat better for my mental well-being? And the answer mm. is absolutely yes. I am a you know, trained psychiatrist and a nutri- nutritional psychiatrist, and I divided it up based on the major conditions in the DSM-5 so that people sort of understood how to work through the book. But in reality, you don't have to meet, uh, meet criteria for any diagnosis to want to fortify your mental well-being, meaning use the gut-brain connection to your benefit. Use the book, the food guides for foods to embrace and foods to avoid to your benefit. Because by eating the standard American diet full of fast foods and fried foods and, you know, the the unhealthy processed um, and ultra-processed foods with tons of trans fats, those things disrupt your gut bacteria or your gut microbes and start to have that gut-brain axis work against you than for you. So simply by picking up the book and really working through um, the different lists of foods, looking at the recipes, putting together the lists, you can actually start to fortify your mental well-being, especially at a time like now where we're facing ongoing uncertainty. You know, the American Psychiatric Association very early on during the pandemic did a survey. And amongst many of the different things they discovered, one of the things that was driving the most amount of fear and concern in individuals around mental well-being was the uncertainty. And that uncertainty is continuing. So I would say that it's, it's really important for us to be eating better for our brain health and therefore for our mental well-being. One of the things that... Uh... I often find when I speak to a lot of my students and and to um, some of our our listeners of the podcast and the magazine is they're they're really confused about nutrition. You know, there's so many different diets out there. uh, Mm -hmm. And I think we can probably, across most of the major diets, we can probably all agree that the number one thing is to eat um, a lot more vegetables uh, mm-hmm. we, we need to get a lot more micronutrients, nutrient-dense foods and things like that. One of the things I love about your book is that it's not just another like diet book. It, it's um, can, can you talk a bit more about your approach to the book uh, and why, um, you know, it's not another diet book. People, um, um, please know that this is not, you know, you're not going to pick this up and suddenly think, Oh, you know, how's this going to work? Because I've been doing paleo, or I've been doing keto, or did it, all these mm-hmm. sorts of things. Can you talk a bit about how it really fits in with with what people are doing and helps provide a bit of direction? Thank you. So, one of the reasons and purposes that I wrote the book was to not only describe nutritional psychiatry and the work that I do, but also because my patients were, as you just described, coming in confused. They they didn't know which which media report 
or which magazine article or which new book to follow or understand. This is not a diet book. Um, and in fact, the goal of how I work with patients clinically is not necessarily to lose weight, but I will say with transparency that many people do simply by embracing healthier eating habits, which also are very, very important for their brain. Um, the, the approach is really one which works on healthy whole foods first and foremost. So an example of that is eat the orange, skip the store-bought orange juice because you have all the vitamins, minerals, and fiber in the orange. And the store-bought orange juice has tons of processing involved, removes the fiber, and um, actually is, has a ton of added sugar. So, so simple things like that. That is just one example and one of the pillars that, that I, I walk people through when I work with them clinically. I try my best to not be diet dogmatic. So mm. I, if you walk into my office and you are following a carnivore diet, or if you're paleo, or if you're vegan, as a psychiatrist, you're coming in for, to ask me for help. And I am not there to you know, smack you on the wrist and say, eat this and don't eat that. I'm there to guide you for your better mental health. And I therefore am diet agnostic. I, you know, I don't necessarily uh, feel that one diet is better than another, but I present you when you, when you come and see me with, with what I think would work best for your symptoms and best on, on, based on your dietary principles that you follow. Um, you know, if you're open to changes, sure, we can, we can absolutely talk to them. But it actually doesn't matter in the end what I'm eating or put on my plate. It really matters what the science is showing us and how that can help you feel emotionally better. So it's not an overnight fix. Um, it's, it's not a quick fix. It's really buying into the pillars of this, of this plan and then based on your symptoms or based on, say, a family history of a condition that you are trying to avoid – or maybe you want to think you want your focus to be better, or you maybe want to sharpen your memory or feel that during the pandemic, you know, you felt a certain way, maybe you're feeling a little foggy, um, you know, or whatever, whatever it is that you come in feeling, we can offer some guidelines around the foods that you can include above, above the really, real, really what I consider the pillars of how you should be eating uh, because the pillars are really based on the basics that every person should be doing for their better mental well-being. And then say you, you have, you know, are worried about cognition, you know, I would encourage you to read that chapter and look at those foods more specifically, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So a couple of, couple of the things that uh, do impact on our uh, cognition that I love to talk about. Let's start with, um, let's start with ADHD. It, it seems like every second person seems to say they have ADD or ADHD right. these days. Right. It's crazy. Right. Uh, um, I'm, I'm interested to know, uh, first of all, what are your thoughts on meds? Uh, I know yeah. uh, we have Ritalin in the US. Uh, I think it's okay. dexamphetamine in Australia. Okay. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on medication. So I think that, you know, with certain um, categories of ADHD or AD, um, ADD um, with individuals who suffer from this condition and diagnosed and being seen by a psychiatrist, sometimes medications are very, very important to help them. I think that I recommend um, that nutrients can also be equally important alongside those medications. But if someone were coming in with milder symptoms, or feeling that they are doing okay, they're using the medication, but they want to speak to their psychiatrist 
under psychiatrist care maybe taper down and consider other modalities of feeling better, that that could be an option too. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm an allopathic physician, so I prescribe medications, um, mm-hmm. but I'm a conservative prescriber. And my approach has always been a holistic, integrated, and functional approach in psychiatry, meaning that I look for a root cause, um, that I believe that it's not just the medications. There are other things that can help my patient, and that's partly informed by my Hindu background, how I was raised, um, and feeling that there's more than one way than, than a medication. Um, so I prescribe medications. I, I think that they're very useful for conditions like ADHD and others, but I think food and nutrition can be um, it can also support those symptoms. Um, one of the things that that I, many people, you know, become concerned about is these are stimulant medications, and people can develop a tolerance. Um, some individuals, you know, uh, um, they they are medications which can be abused, um, and you know, can be used for other other things such as suppressing appetite or mm. weight loss. Um, when it's and when it's not prescribed for such a reason, it can have that person run into some difficulties. So, if the medication is, you know, being followed by a physician who has you who's following your symptoms and you feel like you're doing well on the medications, that's completely fine. But also, I would just encourage you to consider the additional things you can do through your diet as well. Mm. Yeah, I think it was maybe 15 years ago uh, when I was looking into the stats on this and, and don't quote me on the stats, uh, might be a little <laughs> off, but uh, um, uh, I think at the time Australia was prescribing two to three times more uh, than the US, um, the dexamphetamine, and then the state that I was in, Western Australia, was eight times more than the rest of the country. So these mm. were like m- seemingly massively overprescribed uh, mm. at the time. That may have changed since. I'm not sure, but uh, I, I would hope. But but you know, I, I I do also think that you know one of the things we should be looking at, and, and I appreciate those statistics. One of the things we should be looking at is what are what are children eating? Mm. What are they eating as they're growing up? What are mothers eating when the child is in utero? And how is that affecting the brain development? Um, you know, I think that all of that becomes important right in this conversation. So um, I didn't know that about Australia. And, yeah. and that's, that's very interesting. Uh, I do think that, that it could have been, uh, you know, inflated significantly because it could have been prescribed for, you know, students and people wanting to study and, and you mentioned weight loss yeah. and those sorts of things rather than... Um, you know, necessarily uh, children or even adults that have been diagnosed with, diagnosed. with yeah, yeah. So what, what's happening in the gut with those who have been diagnosed with, with ADHD? And is this well, different you know, from ADD or are we we're putting them in the same uh, category? I, I, sort of, I, I, I sort of put, you know, for the purpose of the book, I sort of put them together because I, mean, I looked at the research for these conditions and you know, what we found is that there are certain things that um, kind of made uh, made these symptoms worse. And it seemed that even if you are not diagnosed with celiac disease, that gluten could potentially mm. be a problem for you if you have these symptoms, that um, dairy was an issue. And this is where we spoke about the A1 milk caseins mm-hmm. or proteins and suggesting maybe try the A2 milk, which in our supermarkets is now available. 
or a nut milk or an alternate to dairy milk, such as um, goat milk or sheep's milk, because then you don't get into the A1 and the A2 issue. Um, then uh, it, it turns out that, you know, some, some, some studies uh, said that sugar was not related, but really looking at the, the larger source of the data and looking into it more closely, I felt that sugar was something that, you know, uh, we really should be careful of. And if, if any parent has been at a children's <laughs> birthday party and, you know, seen the effect of cupcakes <laughs> and candy, um, I think you'd agree with that. So those are, those are the things that, you know, individuals really just have to be careful about. Um, and then, and then they, then they're the foods that they can build back in. It turned out that, and I thought this was very important because of the number of my patients who had come to me taking a stimulant medication, such as Ritalin, and who always said to me, no, I take my medication and I don't eat until 2 p.m. And this concerned me, both nutritionally, you know, these are not individuals who are on any type of intermittent fasting or fasting mimicking diet or anything like that. They were just mm. not hungry. And a study showed that it was really important for ADHD sufferers to get the day started with some type of breakfast. And so what we did in the book is we took the breakfast bar that was used in the study that was created for the research study and created a smoothie from the ingredients um, in, the ch in chapter 11 of the book so that individuals had something as a go-to um, that they could get their day started with. You know, the, the way the recipes are designed is you can switch out ingredients. You, know, you can switch out ingredients to make the recipe vegan. You can switch out the ingredients you know, in, a, in a way that makes it appropriate for your diet. And that's because of the flexibility I like to encourage people to have, but using the appropriate nutrients. You know, the whole foods principle, the eat, eat the colors of the rainbow, the gut appropriate foods and that type of stuff. And then we also found that there was an association with, you know, polyphenols again. So embracing things like berries and cherries and, you know, onions and certain other things really helped the symptoms. Um, and, you know, and the, there's a longer list in the book, but that's, the, those are ways that, you know, you can really fortify against symptoms. And I would encourage people to, whether they're on a medication or not, just pull those into their diet. Mm -hmm. what, what do we know about the mechanisms that are at work here? Like what, what mediates the relationship? Is it, is it predominantly changes in the gut microbiome or are there multiple, multiple mechanisms? I think there are probably more than one mechanism, but my book is largely based on describing, like in chapter one, we'll talk about the gut-brain romance, and then we carry that thread through, meaning that we, we try to explain the mechanisms because what I found was looking at the research, and I looked at about 700 scientific um, articles, and then we inc I included five, about just about 550 in the book, but what I found is that the most compelling evidence, and it's not the only mechanism, the most compelling was related mm -hmm. to the gut microbiome. And then as you walk through each chapter, you will see that based on the different food, we, I present the research and what the mechanism was for that particular condition or that particular food. But I would say, Ramon, that the common thread throughout is that there is this mounting evidence of um, data related to the gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. So let's talk anxiety. How does, and I'm, I'm guessing we're talking about anxiety uh, disorders specifically, or can we go right through to just the, the, the general um, perhaps feeling of unease that one might call being anxious on a daily sure. basis? 
I see it on a, on, on sort of a spectrum. Right. Um, so someone might be feeling, someone that, you know, in January was feeling perfectly fine, headed to work, you know, having a relatively well-balanced life and March and April hit and they suddenly not sleeping well and getting up with anxiety <laughs> and butterflies in their stomach. You know, I would say that that's on the spectrum. It's not necessarily that it has to be diagnosed and then you have to go in and get a prescription, but people are just having, mm. like you say, this, this feeling of unease. And then it's all the way to sort of panic and generalized anxiety where you're not sleeping, you're not coping, you're not functioning. So even if you have to get up and do Zoom meetings for work, you are so anxious that you don't want to get onto the meeting. Um, so, you know, there's, there's the spectrum. And, and, and for severe symptoms um, such as suicidal ideation, uh, an episode of mania, losing touch with reality, um, such as, you know, psychosis or hallucinations of some kind, for those or suicidal ideation, as I mentioned, for those things, you know, you do have to see a doctor. You, you might have to not only call a crisis line or call a friend, but go to an emergency room for help. But for, for symptoms where, you know, you're not, you're not doing well, but you can speak to, speak to a therapist or speak to a doctor, but start to employ right now today some foods that can help you. That's where I think with stress, anxiety and anxiety spectrum disorders that you can actually gain effectiveness. And one of the things that we found was that, again, gluten and sugar drove these symptoms. Mm. Um, well, while many of us know about sugar, if we have a family history of diabetes, there's so many compelling brain studies linking sugar to, to depression, driving anxiety, making anxiety worse. So, you know, it becomes quite important to understand where the sources of added sugars are that, you know, they're hidden in things like tomato sauce or ketchup, um, store-bought pasta sauces, salad dressings, um, uh, you know, store-bought orange juice, juices uh, have a, a ton of added added sugars to them. And the obvious ones are, you know, the, 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 the soda and um, uh, those types of drinks, which we know the sugar-sweetened beverages have a ton of sugar. So, you know, those, those two substances definitely drove and worsened anxiety. The third was processed vegetable oils. Mm. And here's where I made a really interesting observation during covid um, some of my patients who were working on a nutritional psychiatry plan for anxiety found that they were feeling somewhat better. And so it's interesting, you know, because people who were, who were doing well before were feeling worse. And then those who had been working actively to improve their diets suddenly were starting to feel better. And I, for the life of me, I couldn't figure it out for a while, but I started to take much more history from these individuals so what I uncovered was the pattern that was common to all of them um, that had improvement was the fact that they all travel for work and that they usually are on the go in airports, um, have mm, more fast foods, right. even though they are trying to embrace healthier foods um, and eating, you know, at hotels because they were, were always on the go. And over the pandemic, they were, they were at home. They were eating or preparing home cooked meals using healthier sources of oil, you know, because they know that I like to talk about um, extra virgin olive oil or forms of olive oil and avocado oil if they're using it at higher temperatures and that type of mm -hmm. thing. But, um, <laughs> you know, they were sort of in this forced confinement and naturally by that process were just eating healthier meals. So that's where it really struck me um, and brought home the point about processed vegetable oils because that that was a real significant improvement in their symptoms. 
Um, so, you know, it, it just, uh, it, it's helpful for people to know those things because what I find with my patients is that it's, it, it's equally important for them to know the things that worsen, worsen symptoms as well as uh, improve symptoms. And the fourth big, big category was artificial sweetness. Um, that uh, really, really worsened anxiety. So uh, I think it's important for people to to know to know mm. those things. Mm. You've mentioned uh, sugar a number of times. We know obviously the impact of sugar when it comes to uh, things like our uh, uh, insulin and um, mm-hmm. diabetes. Uh, what's going on in the gut? Uh, are we talking about changing the um, the types of gut bacteria, like the Bacteroidetes and the Firmicutes, that that sort of thing? Like, what's what's Excellent. the impact of sugar to the gut? So it is it is about changing those, and it is also about the fact. Uh, so so you you're making you you changing the environment of the gut microbiota, but one of the other things, or how I sort of break it down for people is you sugar is feeding the bad microbes in the gut and they're therefore changing the good ones. Um, and, and what you're doing with substances that feed the bad bugs in the gut is you are creating dysbiosis. Um, you're creating um, a, an imbalance where the bad microbes thrive over the good microbes that are there to actually support your immunity support your better physical and mental well-being. And by causing dysbiosis and thriving, they then start to cause inflammation in the gut um, and down the road, things like leaky gut or intestinal permeability. So all of these things get set up um, by that action through the gut microbiota. And, And a simple way to think about it is, do you do one within 24 hours, studies have shown, that you can start to impact the gut, the, the, the gut uh, microbes. So you can decide to have the fast foods, the processed foods, the ultra-processed foods um, right now, and, and you will start to impact the gut microbes, and you will start to notice it a few weeks down the road. Or you can start to eat healthier salads, embrace you know, fresh vegetables or even frozen in, in the U.S. are perfectly fine if there's no added sauce or sugar, syrup, mm-hmm. or sodium. Um, embrace fruit and vegetables and high-fiber foods and start to impact your microbes positively. And you know, I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it, it does start to happen that fast. I mean, research has shown that. So you can, you can really make that decision today. Is it as simple as feed the good bugs, starve the bad bugs, or is it there, can, please. It, so, sorry. No, please go ahead. It, and I, I, think, I think in its most simplest form, yep. yes. Okay. So if, if someone were to just take one take-home point from this, it's, you know, how can, how can you eat for your better mental health? You know, starve the bad guys, feed the good guys. Uh, absolutely. That's, that's a very sort of broad, and it is a simplification because mm-hmm. you, you know from reading the book, we go into types of bacteria and which ones in which particular study thrive, what affected it, what substances affected it. And for those people interested, the details are there for you to read. Um, but it, it's the fact that the added sugars, the, the um, wrong, you know, the, the uh, processed vegetables, artificial sweeteners, um, in certain conditions, the sources of the gluten um, and other things just start to really have the um, really feed the the bad the bad guys. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, as human beings, we love simple things where we, you know, uh, binary or uh, that sort of approach to things. So it's it's like even if we have that message, that idea that that uh, in our mind, starve the bad guys, feed the good guys, and if we do that, um, then we're you know probably what ninety percent of the way there, I guess. You definitely, you're definitely um, so much further along than uh, than the flip side of of feeding the um, the bad guys, and and you're so far along because, as I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, many of my uh, patients will come back and say, and by the way, you know, doc, I lost like seven pounds, and I'm like, mm. that's excellent, you know, that, and I, and you know, when the way that I frame this discussion because I know that our gut microbiome is so mostly unique in individuals. I don't promise things that I, I don't know will definitively happen because the nutritional psychiatry treatment plan has to be that individualized for a patient or for a person. And um, when they come back and they feel that, what I'm so happy about is that just embracing the specific foods for the condition they're having or the symptoms they were having, plus these pillars of better mental health, such as, you know, <laughs> starve the bad mm-hmm. guys, eat, eat for the good guys are helping, you know, because they, they're including fermented foods, prebiotic foods, you know, they are just embracing more, more fiber-rich foods in their diet. And if they, if they consume animal proteins, they're eating lean seafood and, and lean meats that are well-sourced. Mm-hmm. So as we're uh, coming to the end of the show, do you have any final thoughts for our uh, listeners, something for them to take away? Sure. I, I would say, um, I would leave them with a few things um, to remember. A happy gut is a happy mood. Mm-hmm. Um, balance is the golden rule. So, you know, whatever you're doing, try to achieve a sense of balance. Uh, when I say fruit, eat, you know, low glycemic foods such as um, blueberries, raspberries, things like that, um, especially if you're struggling with your weight because high glycemic foods are not helpful to you. But as you begin to heal your gut um, and feel better, you can speak to your doctor about including more types of fruit. Um, gut inflammation is brain inflammation. So what we, you and I talked about, Ramon, were many things that are inflammatory to the gut. And over time, when we start to change those gut bacteria within 24 hours, when we, when we make the good guys do, uh, do well, we're good. But when we help the bad guys thrive, that's when ultimately it leads to brain inflammation and that's when our mental well-being starts to be impacted. Mm, mm, lovely. And uh, where can we go to get the book and to find out more about your work? Sure. So, you know, it depends on where you're getting the book. In the United States, the book is available at all major re- retailers uh, online and in stores, and it's called This Is Your Brain on Food. Um, in certain countries, the same book is just under a different title called The Food Mood Connection. You will see the same cover, same content, but just a different title. Australia is one of the countries where it's being sold as um, the Food Mood Connection as well. Although I've heard that some people were able to get the US version because they've let us know, which is great. And then um, you can check, check out my website where we, you can subscribe to information and updates that we give. That's umanaidoomd.com. U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O-M-D.com. And please check us out on social media where we're also providing updated information um, and the current research, um, recipes, all sorts of fun stuff. And we're at Dr. Uma Naido, all one word, at D-R-U-M-A, 
N-A-I-D-O-O. We'd, we'd love to have people follow us and ask us questions. We try to be really good about getting back with as much information as we can. Fantastic. Um, guys, we'll put the, the links in the show notes so you can just go down uh, and click and go straight there. Dr. Uma, thanks very much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Ron. It was lovely to talk with you. So that's it for this episode. If you want to support the show, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, drop a five-star review, and of course, you can connect with me on social with the links in the description. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon. Bye.